Yeah, good morning, Hillside. I am so glad you are with us this Sunday morning. It is great to be together, even though we are apart. Um, love the idea that many of us are scattered, uh, either in the Tri-Cities or beyond, kind of tuning in, and uh, we worship together. We continue to, to look to Jesus for his life and his teachings, and I'm so glad about that. Um, we're wrapping up one series today, but I wanted to give you a heads up about next Sunday, a series we're starting. We, we really actually began this kind of on a sly in December. Uh, we began a journey in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to continue that beginning next week. Um, Matthew, uh, it's the Gospel was written by one of Jesus' apostles named Matthew, a tax collector, um, close companion with Jesus for three years. And so when we want to get in on Jesus' life, Matthew and, and his Gospel is a great place to look. Now, for some of you, you spent maybe lots of time reading, studying, hearing sermons in the Gospel of Matthew, and maybe you're thinking, I, I, I've been a little bit overexposed. Uh, I was thinking about this, and, and let me quote what, G, what Jesus shared with his disciples as recorded later in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 13, where he said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Folks, you'll find this with the teachings of Jesus. As you dig into his life, as you dig into his way and his teachings, there are old treasures and there are new treasures. In a way, it's kind of always new. As I've grown as an apprentice of Jesus, trying to walk in his ways, the good news has gotten better the older I've gotten, and I'm still challenged profoundly to align my life with the ways of Jesus. I, I was talking with Daryl Johnson. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a, a huge fan of his. He's one of my favorite pastors and preachers. He's in Vancouver, and I reached out to him, and he's willing at some point in this coming series to come to Hillside or at least to speak for Hillside by, by way of recording. Isn't that great? And, and he said to me this week, he said, in terms of, of being apprentices of Jesus, right now in our day, he said three New Testament books are kind of kind of core, kind of very helpful uh, in our day, and that would be the book of Revelation, Ephesians, and, and then the Gospel of Matthew. And so I'm excited about this. Next week we'll dive in. I think it's going to be good. But back to today, we're in our final installment of our series we've done through January called The Be With Plan, where we consider God's plan for us to be with him, to walk with him, and to be with one another as his people. I just love that word with, and I wouldn't want to be without. Uh, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help think about a couple of my mentors this week, Dave and Irene Barker. I learned a lot. Uh, Angel and I uh, were involved in a church plant that Dave and Irene Led And then 26 years ago, we were with Dave and Irene as they uh, helped uh, form from Austin Avenue Chapel and Evergreen Church, a, a new church called Hillside Community Church. We were there with Dave and Irene at that time. And, uh, and so it was a huge privilege for Angel and I this last Thursday night to be with Dave and Irene in their home and to pray with Irene, especially in her what would be final hours of her life. She went home to be with Jesus Saturday morning. 
And I, and I, I got to say, as I've been reflecting on her life, how, how grateful I am for, for their example and for her example of being um, someone who cared so much about being with Jesus and then so much about the, the church, what, what that looked like and pressing into that. And so um, what a gift to, to have living examples like that. And I want to invite you, pray for Dave and for their family as they journey through this huge loss. We always think Dave and Irene. We've never actually thought Dave separate from Irene. And so it's really difficult to think of Dave kind of uh, on this journey uh, in the years ahead uh, alone. And, and so be praying for God's grace on his life. Again, with. It's a good word. With God, with his people. I, I argued last time that I don't believe anybody has greater wisdom on forming healthy community life-giving community, life-changing community than Jesus. Two weeks ago, we spoke about two qualities. First, how in a great church or in a great small group, people are devoted to each other and they will pay a significant price to do life together, to to be part of the fellowship. The second insight of Jesus is that a, a great church or a great group is a safe place to get real with people. Do you remember that word, sincere? In Latin, without wax, means don't hide the cracks, right? Well, today I want us to look at three more insights from Jesus around forming a great community, a, a great church. By the way, these principles, even though they're, they're really about the church, they can apply to our families and to the relationships we have with our workmates and, and, and to our marriages and our friends. But why don't we pause and why don't we pray and invite God to meet us this morning? So Holy Spirit, we are grateful that you, um, you give us your, your word, you give us your example, you, you lead us into your truth. And I pray this morning, your truth would change our lives. Your truth would awaken us and, uh, and cause us to, to be changed. So Lord, meet us, we pray. I, I, we also would just lift up the Barker family today and pray your mercy and your grace be upon them, Lord how they need you right now. And we're grateful that you promised to be with us in those seasons. Bless us in this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, of the three great qualities that Jesus talks about community, so number one, a great group is a place where people can speak truth to one another. The Apostle Paul says in one of my favorite uh, letters of his in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. A couple verses before, Paul says, until we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're going to look like that one day, mature in Jesus. We're going to look like Jesus, and we're going to help each other get there by speaking the truth to one another. Reality is our friend. As as Jim Collins, a business kind of expert, says, you know, we need the brutal truth. Face the brutal facts. But the fact is, we tend to avoid the truth. We run from it. Our, our capacity for self-deception is staggering, isn't it? A small group of people can help us see the truth about ourselves, sometimes even in small things. It was great to have Naya leading us this morning. I remember being down with the kids uh, in kids' church a couple of years ago, and we're just sitting on the floor and the kids were, you know, asking me questions and telling me things. And, 
and it was just, you know, being real with the kids. And, and then some kid says, Pastor Derwin, you have no hair. And I'm like, yeah, newsflash. By the way, um, people who make bald jokes to bald guys, it's so yesterday. Like, we've heard them all. Like, it's not like news to us. We, you know, <laughs> just an aside. Uh, one of the kids, though, uh, said, said, Pastor Derwin, what's that, you know, line of fat across the back of your head? I'm like, that's where God put my extra brain cells, right? <laughs> that's speaking the truth, just not much love, actually, but it's the truth. In this, in this new kind of community Jesus had assembled, think again to the earliest days of the church. People would say, where did they get this idea of speaking the truth and love from? They got it from Jesus, from moments they could all remember. For instance, one time they were, they were walking along somewhere, and Jesus said to them, what were you arguing about when you were on the road? But they kept quiet because they'd argued about who was the greatest. <laughs> Wouldn't you have loved to hear that who's the greatest argument among Jesus' disciples, Right? Then Jesus, who knows what's going on, says, hey, guys, what were you talking about? <laughs> and they're like, uh, do, 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 uh, you know, COVID, uh, the Canucks, uh, uh, nothing, really, you know, they're, they're in that space. Who wants to tell Jesus, we were arguing about who follows you the best? <laughs> we, which one of us is the most advanced in picking up our cross and denying ourselves? Folks, we all have that kind of deep in us, Right? That's who we are, but Jesus has an amazing response. He, he doesn't say, well, you guys are all fired. He doesn't this whole idea of servanthood and humility, how that actually began to change them. We know it because it's included in the Gospels. They actually share this story about themselves. They didn't edit out the who's the greatest disaster. Why? Because Jesus exposed it, and he spoke the truth to it, and they learned from him about how transformational communities work. They learned a great lesson from the Master. At one time, Peter kind of goes off the, uh, off the rails, off the course, and starts to get a little bit legalistic. You know, when he's with one group of people, the Jews, for example, he behaves one way, and with, when he's with another group of people, the Gentiles, he, he behaves another way. And so Paul says, so I spoke to him face to face. This is in Galatians 2. Paul confronts Peter with the truth of his hypocrisy or his legalism, or at the very least, his inconsistency. And that's how it works. We're, we're told in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves not just to the fellowship, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
the, the idea here is that when they would gather together in, in people's homes, and, uh, in these little communities, they le- learned together about what Jesus taught, not just for the sake of information, but for the sake of asking the question, how do we do it? How do we live what Jesus said? They, they devoted themselves to that, and, and they said, let's hold each other accountable. By the way, that's a, it's a beautiful moment when a church or, or a small group, uh, even a, a business team, a, a team of workers, get to that place. But I, I'm thinking church specifically, like you're wrestling with the teachings of Jesus and, and God puts his finger on something, just brings something to light. And, and someone in the group bravely says, how can we help each other with this? How can we cheer each other on? And it's like a holy moment when a person or, or, or a group make a commitment to live under the teachings of Jesus and then to challenge and encourage each other in it. I, I first tasted this kind of like, uh, honest and, and committed community when I was about 20. Uh, there was a guy in my church named Armin Stover who actually reached out to me after church one Sunday and said, listen, I've got some struggles around sexual temptation. He was just very honest. And, and uh, I suspect you probably do too. Would you like to meet like once a week and like hold each other accountable? And, and I mean, it was really scary. I'd actually, at that point in my journey with Jesus, which was fairly short, never talked to anyone about sexuality. And so it was scary, but I, it also felt real. And so Armin and I began meeting, and we began talking about things I'd never shared with anybody, and he shared with me, and before very long, within two or three weeks, suddenly there were six guys meeting uh, in the sanctuary of our church, actually, is where we met, kind of on the floor, and we just shared really about where we were at, and we were able to share everything, uh, far beyond just our sexuality, and God powerfully used that season in my life to grow me. In, in significant ways. I, I like how Peter Scazzaro, a pastor in New York, once commented about one of the ways they defined success in their church. He said, success in our church is when people are transformed deep beneath the surface of their lives. I love that. And if you get that kind of honesty, that, that's where life transformation begins to happen, where it's safe enough for you to ask me, how am I living out my commitment to live out Jesus' teaching? And as we get to know each other and, and, and trust one another in our little groups, we can actually begin to talk about stuff that, that really matters, not just the weather or, the, or sports or what's happening with the pandemic or those kind of things. We, we talk about things like our character, like if you're struggling with something, you know, or being content or being critical or being fearful or envious or angry. You can talk about it. We, we can talk to each other about our, our finances and about how we spend our time and our sexuality and our spirituality in these little communities where we will speak the truth in love. That's Jesus' plan for doing life together. All right, on to the next uh, lesson on community from Jesus. A great group is not a place where there is no conflict. It's a place where conflict, which is inevitable in any group, 
leads to reconciliation and growth. The disciples, they, they learn this in their little group. Their little group bitterly disappoints Jesus in the, the crisis moment of his life, at the moment of his greatest pain when he's going to the cross. The, the small group that he'd been with for three years and poured himself into, they all run the other way. Peter, his, his good friend, probably his, his best friend, you know, denies him three times. And many of you probably know the story how after the resurrection, the disciples are out fishing and Jesus comes to the seaside and, and he's standing there on the shore before a fire of burning coals, baking some bread and some fish. And, and the New Testament scholars say the reason that Jesus was standing before a charcoal fire is because uh, Peter was standing before a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus and that perhaps this scene is is being recreated by Jesus here. Funny, I was reading uh, about Nancy Ortberg's take on that passage. She was once speaking to a church of, of young men, and, and she said that the reason the text mentions a fire is to tell us that a man was cooking, and, and what a good thing it is for a man to cook, and that's probably why many women follow Jesus, is because women love a man who can cook. That's not what the New Testament scholars say. <laughs> they say Jesus was recreating that initial scene. Peter denied him three times, and so Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he forces Peter to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And at the end of that story in John 21, Peter knows <laughs> that he has been reconciled. And the conflict, it wasn't like swept under the rug. It wasn't like just let's never talk about it again. It's reconciled in this new kind of community. There's a, there's a legend, and nobody knows if it's true or not. It, in subsequent years, when, when somebody wanted to taunt Peter, they'd do it like crowing like a rooster, just to remind him of Jesus' words to him in, in Luke. Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. But Peter, he knew he'd been reconciled to Jesus. He remembered that. He, he carried that with them for the rest of the, his life. Years later, when, when he's giving advice to these little Jesus communities that had spread, he, he writes these words. He says, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as, as brothers and sisters. You know, friends, there's, there's those of you who are listening today, you just need to hear this. This is God's word of truth to you today. God's speaking to you. In the words of Peter, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but rather with blessing. Peter says, I know, there. I, I, I know it. I've been there. I've learned this from the master. And as I was preparing this morning, I just felt like... I, Knowing where all of us are at, there's probably some conflict in our lives somewhere. And I felt like we should just stop right here before we go on to point three and pray. And take a moment, just um, ask God, is there somebody in your life right now that you are unreconciled with? There's a conflict, there's an issue, uh, there's a hurt, and... Uh, 
maybe God's inviting you to take a step today in, in terms of reconciling that, a step towards making it right. might involve making a phone call after the service or sending uh, a letter. Uh, Paul did this face-to-face uh, -face with Peter when he confronted him with the truth. I think face-to-face -face is best, and in light of the fact that we can't do face-to-face, -face, I'd say video call, phone call are, are really the best. This is not the kind of thing you resolve in a text. Just let's pray, and if God brings somebody to your mind, maybe you could just a, ask for his help to deal with it, and, uh, and then maybe make a commitment to actually deal with it. Just let's take a few moments of silence. And so, God, we pray, lead us. Uh, you, you remind us that, that uh, a great church is not a place where there's no conflict. But a great church is where we follow in the ways of Jesus and we, we work things out. And we learn to love. And instead of re returning insult for insult, we return blessing. Give us courage to walk Jesus in your ways, in the ways we forgive and love and uh, speak truth to one another. We ask that in your name. Number three, great groups have a mission beyond themselves. The plan was for Jesus to be with them and then for Jesus to send them out. And I wonder, what if the 12 had said, you know, we like to be together so much that we don't want to be sent out. <laughs> we want to just keep it us. Folks, that's a, a storyline that's been running through the history of the church. There's often churches, we, we get to that place where it's like, we like this. We don't want that. We like this. Do you know if they did that? We as followers of Jesus today, we would not be followers of Jesus. We wouldn't have heard of Jesus. Folks, Jesus' plan has always been for him to be present with his followers and then to spread his presence and joy and love through them to the entire world. That's Jesus' plan. I, I love how we get to participate in Jesus' mission uh, locally and globally here at Hillside. Uh, we, we have a great GO team that stands for Global Outreach, and they're inviting us actually this Friday night to join with them. You can get a link on Tuesday at our, our midweek reminder or send our office a note. But they're praying and asking God about how we continue to expand our mission. How do we support those partners we have working around the world, trying to bring the good news of Jesus? Uh, and so, so I, I love our GO team. I love the fact that we're involved locally in our community. I, I love the fact that every Wednesday morning that there's uh, usually a, a couple hundred people that show up and receive a food hamper and a smile and we have volunteers that are just sharing the love of Jesus with them through kindness. I, I love that we participate in that. Um, I, I love that our elders and, and finance team who met this last Monday to 
worked, slogged through a little bit, uh, budget, and, and it was great, in my opinion, that we spent a lot of time thinking and dreaming about how do we get to the place where we can do more, release more resources to our neighborhood and the world beyond? How can we actually have that grow? I love that that was part of their agenda on Monday. You see, the genius of Jesus be with plan, which then becomes or could be called the go with plan, we, we're with Jesus and then we go with Jesus, is that we are better together. It's one thing, we are actually all, as individual followers of Jesus, called to go kind of on our own, I would say, to our families and to our neighborhoods to, to bring the healing, hope, and compassion of Jesus to our neighborhood, to our workplaces. Uh, we're called to do that, but we're also called to join with other believers as we seek to kind of strategize together how we might love our community better and our world. Um, now, I've told some of you already how disappointed I was a couple of Sundays ago when we were in the Be With series after I preached, how I immediately wanted a second chance. Because someone pointed out to me right after the service that I'd been pressing into this word fellowship and how they devoted themselves to the fellowship and they were all about the fellowship and, and uh, they mentioned that it made them think about the fellowship of the ring. And I'm thinking, I miss talking about the fellowship of the ring. You know, how did I miss or bring up that, that whole storyline, right? How do I miss celebrating all things Lord of the Rings when that's my, one of my favorite things to talk about? Someone said to me, quite maybe wisely, maybe that's a sign of maturity, Derwin. <laughs> but in our virtual lobby that day, uh, someone brought up this fantastic scene from the Fellowship of the Ring. It's like the Council of Elrond, and it's just one of the most powerful scenes in the whole trilogy. And in this scene, they're, they're at first arguing, what are they going to do with this evil ring that has the potential to, to spread and dominate the power of evil and darkness around the world? But Frodo, this small hobbit, finally steps forward and he silences all the voices when he says, I'll go. I'll go take the ring to be destroyed. By the way, it's, it's this great Christ moment when he steps forward like that. And Frodo bearing the ring would be a very Christ-like assignment. But just as powerful as Frodo stepping forward for this mission is the fellowship who forms around him you know, swearing themselves to Frodo and the journey of the ring. And Aragorn gets the ball rolling by saying, if by my life or death I can protect you, I will. You have my sword. Legolas continues with, and you have my bow. And not to be left out, Gimli says, and my axe. The image is powerful to me because you know, God has put together at Hillside, us together, and we're about as different as that fellowship of the ring, you know? We have our own version of hobbits. You know who you are. We have the stout-hearted who are bold in action. We have the nimble who are quick to pray. We have those who are gifted with wisdom and insight. And we're a collection of artists and, and engineers programmers and, and teachers, doctors and nurses, uh, mechanics and caretakers. We have visioneers and we have doers. And, and I, I love how during COVID we've launched our serve network with the whole dream of 
of matching up people in our congregation with different gifts. People sign up and say, I can do this maybe sometime for someone. And, and when somebody raises a hand and says, I need some help, we know who to call. Matching those things up. If, I'd love to have you join our Serve Network. I think we all should be on that list, by the way. But together, with all of our diversity gathered around the common vision of Jesus as we go with Jesus together, Jesus changes the world through us. His kingdom comes and his will is done. Let me give you one more picture of this. Tom Bolsinger is a pastor and writer and he writes about two members of his church, Hal and Gus. I love those names. Why don't we have a Hal and Gus at Hillside? We really need to recruit. Okay, guys, get on that. Hal is blind and Gus is an amputee, confined to a wheelchair. Uh, alone, they would be what we'd call confi- confined to their homes as shut-ins. Both Hal and Gus are, are in their 80s, and they don't get around very easily on their own. Tom writes this. He says, when they come to worship services at the church, Hal pushes Gus, and Gus directs Hal. They make their way through the parking lot and a patio to their place together in the pew. Gus sits in his wheelchair and gives directions. Hal pushes the wheelchair and follows Gus's lead. And together they get to where they want to go. And together, and only together, they come to church. A blind man giving energy to a man who can't walk. A disabled man giving direction to a man who lacks vision. But together they worship, take part in community, and offer their gifts and inspire a whole lot of us. What a picture of the be with kind of life, the life that Jesus invites us into together with him for the world. It's all part of the Jesus be with plan. Now I'm going to send you out. Jesus does that with the first group. And I've sometimes wondered what it was like when the disciples, those first 12 kind of had a reunion in heaven. But but one by one as they kind of gathered before Jesus and they remember when they were just young men and and Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. And and they gave them their lives. And then one day they are with him and they they want to know, did we do well? How did we do, Lord? And Jesus says, I I told you that, that no one who gives up anything to follow me, you know, father, brother, mother, sister, houses, land, can but receive a a hundredfold or a thousandfold in return in this life and the next. By the way, it was that verse that I read to Irene Barker on her deathbed just a few nights ago. I wonder if those first 12 thought to themselves, what if I'd said no? You know, what if if when that young carpenter turned rabbi had, had turned to me and said, I want you, What if I had said no? What about you and I? Jesus is still inviting us to follow him in order to be with him. But being with Jesus, following Jesus, is also all tied up with being with his people. We follow Jesus together. We can't do it alone. Let's pray together.
Lord God, I, I thank you for the stories we have of your first followers and uh, the lessons they learned and have shared with us uh, from Jesus about community. Lord, we're told that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to doing life together. Help us, Lord, to do that, even in our day. Right now, God, I pray, help us to, to stay connected. Teach us what authentic living looks like, where we don't hide our faults, but are able to be real with them. Lord, I, I pray you would shape us into the kind of people who can speak the truth to one another so that we might grow in our capacity to live as Jesus lived, to live under the teachings of Jesus. Oh God, we need your grace, and I pray for your grace when there's conflict, and there will be, to work things out, to, to not just brush things away or ignore them or to blow up, but to work towards grace and reconciliation and, and working things out. Give us grace to do that, we pray. And finally, Jesus, you bring us together with a vision to also send us out together on a mission with you, with all our different gifts and personalities and cultures. Help us lay that before you, Lord, and help us learn to serve with you, Jesus, so that we might bring your healing and your hope and your compassion to the Tri-Cities and beyond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.